I'm Craig Lawless, and this is Sounds Like Infrastructure. Whenever I see a Tesla driving around the city or on a highway, I still get a little excited. It feels futuristic. I think what it is is that these cars represent all the hype we've been hearing about driverless cars, about how our autonomous vehicles will pick us up, turn on the latest movie, and whisk us off to dinner. And if you've been browsing YouTube videos like I have, you'll already know that the hype is almost a reality. So the question Ferrovial and Sintra have been asking is whether there's a way to improve our roads for this new type of vehicle, whether there's new technology that can be used, and whether we can do that while at the same time making the roads better for traditional vehicles too. To answer that question, we got in touch with Jen. My name is Jen Duthie. I'm a Senior Innovation Manager with Sintra. Jen's role is to help find a way to design all this new technology into Ferrovial and Sintra's highways. And she's doing that with a project called IVEA. You probably have a smartphone. You might even have a smart fridge. Well, this is smart infrastructure. When we say smart, we usually mean that there's some technology component. There's perhaps some computing or some communications. And while the asphalt and physical signage will all still be there, going smart is adding this digital side to make the trip on a road better. So ideally safer, more efficient, more pleasant experience. There have already been some changes to start making our existing highways smart highways. And our producer Kevin Garcia-King talked to Jen to find out what they are. You'll hear Kevin's voice during the conversation. Some of these changes are physical changes to the signage and road markings so that humans and sensors can see better. Some tech you're already familiar with is there too. We've already got barrier-free tolling, cameras and radar on our roads. But what's changing now is this ability to connect the infrastructure to the vehicles themselves. So it's not just the infrastructure gathering information that's helping operate it more efficiently, but we're actually able to communicate to vehicles that information directly um, and also get information back from vehicles on the roadway about what they're experiencing. So what's changing is, is more advanced technology and a lot, lot more data and a lot of potential for um, improving how we operate the roadway. And what's happening with vehicles? Uh, I guess nowadays, uh, you know, we see a mixture of traditional uh autonomous i mean in some cases not not many uh connected vehicles so what are why is this infrastructure so important to be ready to you know sort of communicate with all those different type of vehicles what is happening with the vehicles now and how will that transition to smarter vehicles happen will we see that in the near future where we have a mixture of traffic or is it happening right now on our roads it's definitely happening right now. So most vehicles that are, are new out on the market um, have some sort of connected capabilities. So they're connecting to the Internet, um, maybe just for infotainment purposes. Perhaps they have some, some safety features. Um, but most vehicles have that capability to transmit and receive information. But people hold on to their vehicles for a long time. Um, so I personally have a what we call level zero vehicle, which is um, a dumbest vehicle you can have. Um, it doesn't have any sort of communication infrastructure, but but I'm holding on to it because, you know, car prices are so high right now. So I think there's a lot of people that will take a long time to get vehicles that have this connectivity. So as an infrastructure operator, we know that it's important to be able to, when we say a smart roadway, it needs to be a smart roadway for everyone and wherever they are on that technology spectrum of their vehicle. 
right? So if they have the latest um, Tesla or Polestar or, or any of these you know, newer vehicles with some automation capabilities, we want to be able to take advantage of that. But we also want to make sure that we're providing information to um, drivers of all vehicle types so that their, their drive can be as safe as possible as well. So it's, it's going to take a long time. There's been a lot of hype around um, automated ve- or autonomous vehicles. Um, and we think about it in terms of, of levels of, of automation. And we're still pretty far away, um, despite claims made by, by some automakers, we're still pretty far away from having these vehicles with full autonomy being market ready in, in all different conditions and all different geographies around the world. And in terms of the the hype that you were talking about, so seeing this technology, uh, you know, already in place and, you know, for yourself being in a person that has seen, you know, sort of the evolution in the mobility sector and are very like into, you know, civil engineering and infrastructure as well. So does that make you excited to start to see these changes or do you think it's a it's sort of a fake hype where, you know, maybe it's something that that grows all of a sudden and it doesn't continue? So what are your thoughts on that? I, you know, I'm very excited. I, I'm not surprised that it's taken so long. Um, we, people get all hyped up about every new technology and then there's a lot of complexities with operating technology on a roadway network. Um, it's not, you know, creating a smartphone is not a simple endeavor, but I'd say creating an automated vehicle um, is, is harder because it has to work in so many different conditions um, that are really can be hard to simulate in a lab. So it could be an animal going across the street, um, let alone you know what we see every day, people, people crossing the street, people on bicycles, um, again, all types of vehicles that may or may not have this um, technology in them. There might be a work zone on your way to work with, with workers in the roadway. Um, there might be snow or bad conditions. So these vehicles have to be able to operate across so many different conditions. Um, and every sensor that they put on the vehicles, you know, has things that it's good at and, and things that it's not very good at. And so it's, you know, it's taking a while to figure out what's that right combination of sensors um, so that the vehicles really can operate in, in all conditions. So I think we will get there. It's, it's just gonna be a longer ride um, and it'll be a much more incremental evolution um, to get to more of an automated vehicle future. Roads and highways make up a massive chunk of the infrastructure in the United States. And saying that you're going to build smart highways makes it sound like there's going to be even more roads built. And while we can build new roads that have these new technologies, Jen and the team are also coming up with ways to make the existing road network smarter and adapting the infrastructure that's already out there. So we're looking at retrofitting existing roadways, right? So our nation has a, an extensive roadway network um, and building roadways can be a very expensive endeavor. So we feel strongly that we need to leverage the, the infrastructure that we already have um, and just make sure that it increases and in how smart it is sort of in parallel to how vehicles are increasing and how smart they are. Um, so, you know, when we develop a smart roadway, we're not building a new roadway. We're taking an existing roadway and probably even existing poles that are along the roadway and installing sensors um, or thinking about, you know, what what data flows we can have through the communication networks to and from um, vehicles on that roadway. 
Can you give us an example of how you're retrofitting, um, you know, this technology into our current assets or, or how people or other companies are doing it at the moment? Sure. So, I mean, one example I can give is on the North Tarrant Expressway in Dallas. We're installing sensors, um, a whole host of sensors. And, um, you know, as we, we learn, again, what is that best combination of, of sensors to be able to get the information in a timely manner, the best information in a timely manner to drivers, um, we're trialing a whole host of different um, radar, LIDAR, um, cameras that have AI capabilities um, along, uh, along a section of the North Tarrant Expressway. Um, and we'll be doing a full, full-on experiment with a research team to really refine what we've developed in terms of what's the best logic for fusing that information from the sensors, sending it out to vehicles, and also ingesting information that vehicles are, are giving to us. Um, so we will be, you know, as this um, initiative develops, we will be pushing information out to vehicles directly that have connected capabilities um, and also pushing information via traditional methods. So onto the dynamic message signs, those message boards that you see along roadways, um, leveraging those more and, and thinking about other ways that we can communicate again with any type of driver that might be out there on the road. While it might be nice to think that our roads will be full of autonomous vehicles in the next decade, that's just not true. And so Jen and the team have to design the highways with this in mind. Their highways have to offer extra services to the cars that can use them and also improve the experience for more traditional vehicles. But it's not just safety for cars that they're looking at, it's safety for all road users. And that sometimes means people who are on the highway, but not in a vehicle pedestrians. Yeah, when we talk about needing to consider pedestrians in in smart roads, you know, we sometimes get the question that, you know, right now we're we're focused on providing smart road infrastructure on on highways and typically there aren't people walking on highways, so why would we consider that? Well, maybe two things. One, we might not anticipate people to be walking on highways, but we know that that happens and so we need to be ready and we need to protect them. Um, but two, the people on the highways are often um, working on the highways. So whenever there's any sort of work zone or, um, or staff that are out there helping a, a stalled vehicle driver, um, we need to protect them. So they're, they're vulnerable users um, setting up traffic control and, and doing their best to mitigate whatever is happening on the roadway. We need to make sure that we can let drivers know um, what they can see ahead of them so that they can you know, move over to another lane and um, keep themselves safe as well as the workers safe. And just going back, and I know uh, you mentioned this earlier, but having a mixture of traffic on the road, so, you know, it poses a challenge when it comes to uh, guaranteeing that safety to, to all the users. It's a big statement. How do you think, uh, you know, thanks to the technology of smart roadways or smart roadways itself, how do you think they're making um, safety or they're enhancing safety on the roadway for all vehicles, both traditional and autonomous? Right. So there's definitely been a thought put out there that perhaps we we separate off the, the vehicles that have these technology capabilities and have a lane segregated for them. Um, and, and, you know, that is one way to handle it. And that, that could be efficient at moving 
the connected and automated vehicles. Um, but we're committed to providing enhanced service to everyone um, and having everyone operate on the same facility. So equity is a, a guiding principle in the design of, of smart roads as we see them. And so we wanted to provide information in traditional methods, such as the, the message boards that we see on the highways, um, and also provide information to third-party providers such as Waze and Google, so that people, maybe their vehicle's not connected, but they have a, a cell phone. Um, most of us do, you know, in their vehicle, and they can get information that way. Um, or we all have roadside units that communicate via the 5G network that can communicate information directly to vehicles that have connectivity. So it's, it's almost a kitchen sink approach at this time to really take care of all the different types of users that are out there um, as we kind of work down this evolution to um, perhaps you know, more um, automated vehicles in the future. There's an important aspect here that is one company or one entity cannot make everything. So cannot, you know, there needs to be someone who makes the infrastructure, another company who, you know, works on the technology around it. How important do you think collaboration between companies or entities, even public or private, is in this matter? Yeah, I we think strongly that partnerships are critical. Um you know, Ferrovial and, and Sintra have a long history of, of um, excellence in construction and roadway operations. Um, and we certainly bring a lot to the table there. Um, and, you know, we have been innovating across all of our different types of projects for a long time. You know, that said, there are definitely pieces of the smart road, like we don't manufacture sensors um, so we need to partner with different sensor providers to be able to to um, put those out on the roadways. Um, we're looking at different partnership options for rolling out the the platform that will contain the all of the Avia logic. Um, so some combination of in-house innovation as well as a, a different private partner. Um, you know, there's so many interesting players in this mobility space, and 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 there's so much changing all the time. Um, with with vehicles and with technology that it really is important for us to have solid partnerships in place so that we can stay on the cutting edge and provide the best service. When you're working on a project like this, collaboration is key. And while that might mean collaborating with tech companies and other private companies, it also means partnering with governments and the public sector. And these collaborations are usually called public-private partnerships. And Jen thinks that they're one of the keys to developing the smart roads of the future. I think that P3s or public-private partnerships are are critical to making this happen. Um, you know, public agencies have a lot of strengths when it comes to delivering infrastructure, delivering service, um, but it, it can be very challenging for them, given their um, just the way that they're structured, for them to be able to provide the technology and that's needed to create smart roads. So to, to have that technology, the capacity to put the technology on the roadways, the capacity to maintain it. Um, a lot of maintenance budgets for, for roadway agencies are already stretched thin. And the thought of putting more infrastructure on the roadways is, is difficult for them to think about. And so a P3 model could be a way to provide this service but without putting that extra strain on their maintenance and op or operations staff um, and create a partnership there. And there might be some unique, 
you know, business models and business opportunities that could arise that allow um, the public side and the private side to, to do what they do best and, and then collaboratively provide the service to the public. We've been talking about, you know, many different, um, I think, use cases and, and examples of things that that could that, you know, will be implemented and, and, and different success stories. But I just want to focus a little bit more on, you know, the not the negative side, but the, the sort of the limitations that technologies like this can have. So what do you think are the potential stoppers or limitations that smart highways or smart roadways can encounter? Well, one that we talk about quite a bit in terms of, uh, I don't know if, if stopper is the right word or, or some sort of um, just a challenge that we have is the regulatory framework or, or lack thereof that we have in the United States around um, connected vehicles. So there was a, a path for a long time toward having a mandate around dedicated short range communication. So a, a a way for vehicles and infrastructure to communicate. And when that, when the federal government decided not to pursue that mandate any longer, um, we are left, you know, trying to figure out what are the vehicle manufacturers doing and then how can we best provide service um, that leverages what they're, what they're doing, right? Because a smart road that communicates with vehicles um, is only so useful as, as the number of vehicles that it can communicate with. So it doesn't you know, make a lot of sense for us to put out um, a smart road system that doesn't, um, it, it doesn't work with the types of technology that the vehicle manufacturers are putting out. And that you know, changes year by year and maybe more frequently. Um, so you know, we're definitely you know, hoping for some more clarity on the regulation side um, so that we can, you know, make sure that we're uh, making good investments in the technology that we're putting on the roadways. And um, and the, the regulation could also provide some stability that would allow for, for more investment with a lot more players in this space. Um, so that's that's something that we talk a lot about. So in the absence of, of strong regulation um, or standards, how do we how do how do we create the most effective smart road system that's that's future proof to the extent possible? Mm-hmm. And what are the things that you know are coming up? So we were talking about you know retrofitting this technology. We're talking about five G uh, sensors, uh, but maybe there's something that you're actually working or that the whole uh, sort of industry is working towards that we're going to see in the next coming years. Sure. So one thing that I'm excited about, um, I don't know if it'll sound exciting, but but we are, you know, pretty excited about um, what's been happening with the the work zone data exchange. So, you know, a lot of vehicle manufacturers will tell you they don't need they they might not need information from the the roadway in order to operate, and and they're doing that or they're saying that partly because they don't know or they can't guarantee that every roadway operator is going to give them that information. So the vehicles need to be able to operate, you know, without extra help per se. But one area where we feel strongly that extra help is needed for safety is, is work zone data. Um, Because as an infrastructure operator, you know, we have a, a much closer um, knowledge of when we're putting work zones out and what those work zones look like. 
And so creating a data feed and the, the federal government's been spearheading a process to have standards around that data um, to be able to put out common data feeds um, that can be read in real time so that people know when the work zones are in place. Because we might have, you know, announcements of, oh, we plan a work zone tomorrow. Um, but having maybe real-time sensors at the work zone site um, that could be on the maintenance truck, it could be on the cones, um, that can then have actual second-by-second information on how the work zone is set up and where drivers need to avoid, um, we think could be very useful information. Just looking into the future, uh, you know, how long do you think until we see this technology fully implemented? Is it realistic to think that, you know, maybe in the five next in the five coming years, we'll see something? Or is it, you know, for full implementation, there needs to be more time than that, let's say 10, 20 years? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to say what does fully implemented mean, because technology just keeps evolving. <laughs> and it's so it'll, it'll be a lifetime. But um, we are implementing um, some smart road technologies with some of the most critical safety use cases on um, I-66 outside the Beltway in Virginia. Um, by the end of this calendar year. So really getting um, getting some of these projects put out on the ground this calendar year. And, and then we anticipate doing it with some of our roadways, um, our other roadways in, in Texas starting the following year, so 2023. And, and then our idea is, you know, we're learning a lot of lessons through um, rolling out our AVS Smart Roads platform on, on some of our concessions um, but really creating this to be modular so that it could be used by, by any roadway agency um, and having it um, kind of plug in to their, their existing systems um, and possibly having software and or hardware type solutions. Um, but I, I, as far as like full build out of what we anticipate now, some of our, our later horizon use cases as we talk about are dependent on the level of, of connectivity. So really dependent on the the proliferation of connected vehicles within the fleet. So it's not so much a question of are the smart roads ready, but are the vehicles ready to take advantage of, of the smart roads? So, you know, I think as far as what we're planning now and baseline smart roads, um, you know, we'll have some really good progress to report in the next um, year and two years. Just one last question. And this came to mind while we were talking about, you know, the different solutions and technologies, but you know, in comparison to the rest of the competitors out there, what do you think makes IVEA different? What do you think is the differentiator that, you know, proves it to be more accurate, more efficient, more, um, you know, useful than other uh, technologies out there? Sure. I think two things make AVIA stand out. And, and one is the tie with Ferrovial and Sintra um, with that history of, of constructing and operating roadways, you know, really deep knowledge of, of what that means um, and maintaining roadways and, and what it takes to maintain um, intelligent transportation system devices. You know, this is something that we've been doing for, for a very long time. Um, so I think that's a differentiating factor and, and then secondly, our commitment to providing service to all, all road users of, and people of all vehicle types. Um, you know, equity is a, a key focus of, of the company, a key driving factor in addition to safety. 
Um, so making sure that we are providing benefit to people that, that have the latest and greatest cars, but also also people that don't. I mean, we want to make the traveling experience a, a safe one, an efficient one, an enjoyable one for, for anyone, you know, regardless of their, their level of technology or, or level of income. So I think that definitely is a differentiating factor as well versus some companies that are more focused on um, providing solutions that are just for that, that highest end class of vehicles. And what, what do you think are some of the opportunities? And, uh, you know, we talked about the challenges, but maybe there's opportunities out there that are coming up or that you forecast in the future. There's so many opportunities. Um, I think, you know, the advent of of 5G and the evolution of the communication system is, is very exciting. Um, and I just, you know, I remember being in, in coding class in high school where you would create, be trying to create a website and, and you would have it run and it would take, you know, 10 minutes <laughs> to get it loaded. And, and we're at a point where we just, we are seeing information instantaneously. Um, so having this really rapid communication is, is exciting in that it, it really opens the door um, for so much more than than just the you know the infotainment that we're used to in our cars. Um, so I mean, I'm most excited about the safety applications. Um, anything that we can do to prevent collisions of any type to make sure that that we're as infrastructure operators, we are good caretakers of our travelers and and helping them get to their destination safely. Um, that if we can really unlock all the value of this technology, I'm, I'm hopeful that we can you know, really get to this, this vision of, of zero serious injuries and fatalities on the roadways that we outfit with these um, the smart road technologies. A big thanks to Jen for chatting to us for this episode and to Pablo Ferrando Rubio, Mark Segal, Miguel Carpio and Adrian Talbot for helping us understand the future of smart highways and IVEA. If you're looking for more info on the IVEA project, you can go to iviaspartroads.com. IVEA is spelled A-I-V-I-A. Sounds Like Infrastructure is a collaboration between Ferrovial and Berleta Media. Our team includes Kevin Garcia-King, Jose Garcia-Guaita, Arantxa Gulias, Bethany Ashcroft, Paloma Gonzalez, Fatima Gracia, and myself, Craig Lawless. If you like the podcast and want more episodes, don't forget to subscribe wherever you listen. And you can follow Ferrovial on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And be sure to check out our blog for more stories like this one. I'm Craig Lawless, and this is Sounds Like Infrastructure.